The real value of Vita-X is the open national data standards that accounts for all of the different objects one might think of within the transportation system. So we don't care if it comes via DSRC or CV2X or 5G or 6G downstream, right? What we want is to get that data in real time and to be able to push real-time alerts out and to create bi-directional communication in the transportation system, again, in as close to real time as is possible. Welcome to the bike lane. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. With us today is Kellen Pooker, head of business development, smart mobility office at Panasonic North America. Kellen is focused on Panasonic smart mobility office and all things mobility, part of the Cirrus business unit. Kellen, welcome to the bike lane. Thanks, Jake. Really, really honored to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so so much to dig into today, and we will be talking about the ITS show in LA, which just just happened not too long ago. And man, what a what an exciting show! But first, let's start off a little bit with your background and how you first got in your role. So, uh, the kind of the the precursor to this, and I got to ask, as a proud Ohio University Bobcat, <laughs> how did you end up at Miami of Ohio? I, I I think some of my fellow alumni from from Athens would probably yell at me for this, but um, I'm curious, like you're a Colorado guy. So what, what's the story on, what's the Ohio story here? Yeah, I'm a Colorado guy from 2008 forward. But prior to that, I actually was born and raised in the Cleveland area. So Northeast Ohio. Um, and uh, for those of your listeners that maybe aren't familiar with this line of questioning, um, there's a longstanding rivalry between Miami University, which is not in Miami, Florida. It actually um, as a university predates the existence of Florida as a state. Um, but it's Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and there's this longstanding rivalry between our, our two prestigious universities. So That's awesome. Uh, and and uh, also just a little about yourself. Um, when I met you, one of the things that you, you told me, and it was pretty cool, is, is you, you're a rider as well. Like you're a mountain biker and, and you get out there and, and, and you're still pretty active on the bike out in Colorado, right? Yeah, man. Uh, active would be an understatement. That's my main kind of summer pastime. Um, we had talked about, you know, my departure from uh, the Midwest or uh, Northeast Ohio and Miami and, and how I actually got out here. I came out to Colorado specifically because of my love of all things mountain sports, right? So um, skiing was my, my first winter gig out here. I was a ski instructor and then, yeah, uh, avid, avid mountain biker. Um, that's, again, that's, that's what I'm all about in, in these summer months. Absolutely. It, one, one thing that's just been consistent in the bike lane for those of us that, uh, or for our guests that have joined the show, as well as our, our bloggers and, and correspondence is uh, everybody seems to have a personal experience around cycling, whether it's sport or, um, or transportation or, or somewhere within is, is we get it. And, and that's just something that I, I think is amazing that uh, everybody can kind of have a perspective that, that brings us back to why we're doing things to make a safer world. So um, that's just fantastic, Kellen. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Panasonic. Panasonic, big Japanese company. So you're in Colorado. Uh, you've got a team working on all things smart city. Talk to us a little bit just about the division and um, like how Panasonic is set up and, and just a little bit of background and including Cirrus and what, what's all going on there. So um, Panasonic had this, this really fascinating vision um, centered and focused on and, and predicated really on a lot of the success that they had had in their native country in Japan around smart city initiatives. And they wanted to really bring that to the North American market. Um, so we planted a headquarter facility um, build out here in Denver, Colorado, back in probably 2016, 2017 is when we really kind of opened doors and got our, st our start. Um, that has since evolved into this smart mobility office. And there are a couple of different businesses within kind of um, that, that structure, if you will. I'm very focused on our Cirrus by Panasonic team. 
um, specifically the solutions that we're bringing to bear for state and local agencies for connected vehicle or what we call V to X. Um, for those maybe coming from outside of you know intelligent transportation systems, V to X is our catch-all acronym for vehicle to everything kind of communications technology and the applications and services that we deliver with that communication. Excellent. And it's we, we've had a lot of conversations about V to X uh, with, with, in the bike lane. And it, it, there's um, been a, a we, you've been, you and I have both been around this industry before there was funding. Um, in yeah. fact, uh, I, I think just kind of take us back to, I don't remember it was 2017 or 2018, but you guys had a, a really nice announcement and, and kind of launched. So talk to us about, kind of how you guys got rolling and then pun intended and then where uh, and then take us to like where things are at now, because we've got the the infrastructure bill. And I'm, I'm curious to kind of get a thought around uh, from your perspective in the ITS community uh, where how things have accelerated and, and how you're seeing the outlook now. And but definitely take us back to where things started when we're all bootstrapping these types of uh, services and solutions. I think it's fair to categorize that we really got our start out of some some very um, a visionary program under the, the previous CDOT um, executive director, Shailen Bott, who had his Rodex program. And Rodex looked to um, provide funding to investigate kind of some of these more nascent or burgeoning technologies like V2X. So we, we at the time partnered with Colorado's Department of Transportation. We effectively built a, PO, a POC kind of test bed pilot environment near our headquarter facility. Um, and that ultimately led or materialized in a, a contract with Colorado's Department of Transportation, which is how we really got our start, um, where we equipped a, uh, about what is it, 90 miles of Interstate 70 running through the state, really connecting kind of Denver proper or or Golden, Colorado to Vail Pass. Um, So a really major kind of highway thoroughfare um, with this V2X technology, right? Equipping that roadway with this technology and and importantly, retrofitting a lot of vehicles um, with the the onboard unit that would be broadcasting this connected vehicle data. Um, Thinking about using those vehicles themselves as kind of the the endpoint devices, if you will, the the data sensors in the IoT network. And when I say IoT, um, I don't mean Internet of Things. We we recycle that to mean Internet of Transportation, right? Um, So that's really kind of how we got our start um, was was here in Colorado with, with CDOT. Love the fact you guys are actually putting things on the road, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't know you were retro tr- retrofitting vehicles. I'm, yep. I'm curious, like now everybody talks about 5G and cellular V to X, known mm-hmm. as CV to X, and in, in industry. Uh, at the time, were you guys on DSRC back then, or was it like kind of a pre CV to X? Like, what was like you guys were basically playing with the future. What, what, what kind of tech were you guys running at, at that point? So for those that aren't familiar, there are effectively, there's, there's kind of this VHS Betamax conversation that's been happening in the Vita X industry, right? There's this, let's call it a, a legacy or a mature technology called DSRC or dedicated short range communications, which is really predicated fundamentally on like an advancement of Wi-Fi physics, right? So using the same, um, recycled versions of chipsets effectively from Wi-Fi to transmit this data. Then there was this new technology coming called CV2X, which was really looking to use cellular physics. The promise being that this might ultimately support protocol and interoperability with advanced networks like coming 5G and things like that. So we actually sniffed out that that was coming back when CV2X was still like wholly experimental from the federal view. And what we did is uh, starting with Colorado, we actually engage the industry and many of our vendors and suppliers that actually create the hardware that we deploy in the field to create dual mode units. 
So we were kind of hedging out the possibility that one may win over the other. Now, as we're all aware, um, FCC rulings and, and those that have been upheld most recently have really made CV to X the clear winner. But but a long time ago, back in 2017, we got to work in, in engineering or co-engineering these, these dual mode units um, so that we had both DSRC and CV to X capability. Because at the end of the day, the real value of V to X is the open national data standards that accounts for all of the different objects one might think of um, within the transportation system. So we don't care if it comes via DSRC or CV to X or 5G or 6G downstream, right? What we want is to get that data in real time and to be able to push real time alerts out and to create bi-directional communication in the transportation system, again, in as close to real time as is possible. Great way to to support multiple technologies. When, when we got our start, and this would have been around 2016, we, we had a very similar approach and still have a, a, a similar approach with the Vulnerable Road User Safety Consortium at SAE that we're a part of mm -hmm. around being tech neutral. And and I used to have a similar line. And instead of saying 6G, I would say, I don't care if it's a two two tin cups and a wire like connected. Like <laughs> we got to keep the, and for us, obviously it's it's around vulnerable road users, the, sure. the bicyclists, e-bikes, scooters, pedestrians, work zone workers, that sort of thing. But, it, and we, we kind of looked, we hedged down a little bit for lower common denominators like Bluetooth. And mm. for us, it was around a lot, like, and I know you're obviously like you guys are doing the same thing, but it's around the consumer experience. And unlike vehicles, we, we didn't have the confidence that all of our riders would be able to have the power source and the, 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 the cost to be able to include this uh, onboard unit or OBU, which, which had a lot of, of cost. So we kind of took an approach where it was like, how do we incorporate existing technology via Bluetooth or, or Wi-Fi even to leverage what's available on a mobile phone, leverage what's available on a standard bike computer that many cyclists have, and but also make sure we're working with roadside infrastructure that can um, still include people that are analog cyclists that don't have because they don't want to or can't afford to and have that technology. So. Um, but to get all this going to your point, it's like about having that open standard set to have open data that's really consistent. And I mean, it's exciting to hear that you guys had such an early look around this. And I'm curious, uh, back to kind of the Colorado Department of Transportation, and I want to, we'll get to this. I want to talk to some other DOTs you guys have announced recently, but how, how was that? A, did they really care or were they supportive or, or like, like when, when you approach CDOT way back then, like, was it more of like, hey, we're going to do connected I-70 and they're like, mm. sweet, let's go. Or like how much education was involved in that process in order to, between like the first conversation and actually deploying and retrofitting vehicles up and down the, the front range? It's important to set some um, kind of, let's call it contemporaneous or time-bound context around uh, the CDOT program and announcement. Back then, there was this notice for proposed rulemaking coming from USDOT that was effectively going to mandate that VitaX technology was going to be um, deployed far and wide in vehicles coming directly from the auto manufacturers of the OEM community themselves. Mm -hmm. Think of it as uh, we, we used to like to talk about it as kind of like the digital seatbelt that would be mandatory in every vehicle. Now, because of, um, you know, changes in administration and um, varying appetite, let's say, in terms of top-down kind of federal regulation, some of that notice for proposed rulemaking is, is currently on the shelf or is on, um, let's call it a, a deep freeze. Um, but that was really the context at the time, right? Like, let's prepare for this technology, which has matured over the, the preceding decades, and let's really get ready for what at the time was built to be this kind of tsunami 
tsunami of data that was going to be made available, right? If you put the roadside infrastructure out there and you were able to collect this data that was going to be coming presumably from the, the automotives, um, from the consumer vehicles that were going to be rolling off the line, um, you were in a position to leverage that data for, at the time, kind of high level situational awareness, which is really why I think we wanted to start with some highway corridors and kind of a highway focus, right? Using those vehicles, um, the ones in particular that we were retrofitting with this equipment that could drive that corridor to better understand where and when are there abnormal cues building up on our roadways? Mm -hmm. How does maybe that flow into funding decisions around planning or adding new lane miles, things like that, but also, um, can you in real time begin to understand and, and identify crashes and incidents through airbag deployment events or um, hazard lights? Can you use this bi-directional V2X communication to communicate in real time work zones, right? Um, when, are, when are work zones actually occupied by the workers and when do we need to keep them safe? And then some other really interesting things that you can do as well, again, when you start to think about the vehicles themselves as the, these endpoint sensors in the network. Let's think about um, an example like weather information. So we've got these meteorological models that tell us that there's a winter storm event impacting the I-72 corridor in Colorado. But do you really understand how the roadway surface or how drivers are being individually impacted? And, and how does that inform when and where you deploy your, your snow plows or so kind of some other resources that you might have to mitigate those events, right? So you can begin to use things like road friction sensing, traction control, um, even like windshield wiper status, ambient air temperature, all of these different things that are already sensors on vehicles. You can, you can normalize that data, you can share it in real time, you can aggregate it, and then you can, you can say, wow, like this specific road segment needs attention now, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of helps to kind of triage your response, if you will. So that was the main focus um, with the CDOT program, again, bound by the context at the time. But as you had alluded, um, we've since expanded to include a number of other customers. And, and as such, we've really evolved our thinking as technologists in terms of what solutions and applications we're trying to deliver to the field. Got it. So basically when the windshield wipers start going, it gets colder, you send a notification to open snow and then everybody in Denver starts putting, deploying like snow plows and then ski racks to get up for the pow day. That's, that's the deal. Sure. Yeah. In Colorado, <laughs> that actually may be a call for more traffic on I-70 to get up to your ski towns. So I pay premium for that feature for sure. Um, <laughs> totally. In all seriousness, I, one thing I'm curious about is with ways, like I, I always call this the ways effect. I don't know if that's a real term or not, but, but mm -hmm. the idea is that if you have a small amount of vehicles that are reporting back into ways where the traffic is, that those scouts, mm -hmm. if you will, will be good enough for everybody to participate in a safer, faster journey from wherever they're, where they're at to their destination with, um, with this type of work is it, like, there's a story of, V to X, which is, I think what most people are familiar with is that one vehicle is stopped in front of another vehicle. And then the third vehicle back gets a notification because that driver mm -hmm. may not be able to see because they're blocked, their, their vision's blocked by a truck or something to know that there's um, a slowdown and to prevent a pileup. I mean, that's always that like very macro kind of point to point, but what you're touching on is kind yeah. of a larger story, which is the flow, the mobility flow. And you mentioned things like mm -hmm. increasing the amount of lane miles that are available, if I got the term right. So 
Um, for those of you that aren't familiar, and uh, and I know this because I'm, I'm a skier as well, is that uh, on 70 they made like a special lane that it's a it's a toll lane that you can drive in the basically what the berm would be and open that lane to get you a little bit faster up the mountain or or down. Um, but like to justify the usage and to make uh, more data driven decisions about infrastructure planning that that's that's like more of a big macro thing. So micro is like one vehicle talking to another right now. What's happening? macro and with with the Cirrus business at, at Panasonic do you guys look at this as kind of like both like there's two macro and micro or, or how does that play out absolutely that was the vision from the jump right was first let's let's get this technology in the field um, let's begin this transmission and flow of data let's partner with best in class across industry and really build data platforms that make this data available um, then build your applications and services. And again, it, to your point, right, it can really serve um, so many different interests and use cases. You can aggregate this data over the long pole, and then you can make those informed kind of infrastructure investment type decisions for planning organizations or, or longer range investment. And then, yeah, to your point, right, part of the advantage of something like V2X or uh, connected vehicle technology is the immediacy or the real-time um, exchange of data, again, between the infrastructure, between the roadside, between the vehicles themselves. And again, that real-time element is what's really quite important and what um, differentiates it a little bit, right, from the, the Google Maps, the ways of the world. Um, you, you know, when you're talking about avoiding collision with a vehicle around a blind turn at 70 miles an hour in winter weather conditions, you can't necessarily sit back and rely on multiple seconds of latency through kind of a, a ways type application, um, even traversing a 5G network. You really need to be able to communicate that in the millisecond timeframe to have any real impact and to ultimately save lives. Yeah. For anyone that's listening in on like the timing, uh, the, the industry standard is is 10 times per second transmission. And, right. and that's what's considered safe for vehicles to communicate with vehicles. And um, I, I haven't checked with uh, the map providers. And let's not pick on ways. I mean, they do a great job, by the no, way. I mean, yeah, they probably absolutely. keep law enforcement safe for years, like like notifying when there's there's hazards and things of that that sort. Uh, the, this, the next evolution is just faster um, and less latency. But ultimately, if you're in the mountains and you don't have that data coverage as you're between certain areas, literally coming around the mountain, literally, or in the tunnel, you're not going to know, like you don't have that data coverage. So you really need that point to point. So and Jay Cole, I would actually expand on the point you were just making, because there are some other things that are really valuable about a V to X approach. And let's divorce ourselves for a moment from the conversation about DSRC versus CV to X or the allocation of spectrum. One of the real values from our perspective is it's an open national data standard. Anybody, and almost any ITS um, you know, technology that might exist today. We talk about cooperative ITS all the time at these big industry trade shows. V2X is kind of that open data standard whereby anybody can play and they can translate their technology stack to that data standard. And we can kind of play in this unified fashion. That's what's a little bit dis distinct or different maybe from the conversations that you would have about connectivity that the automakers already maintain with their vehicles, where all of that data is proprietary. It's owned by either the vehicle, vehicle occupant or the OEM themselves. It isn't maybe necessarily readily available. Um, it can't be transmitted in that real time. And then there's the, the, the data ownership piece too, right? Um, you know, some of these different telematics or uh, crowdsourced through your, your mobile device, you know, they're, they're creating those applications, they're collecting that data, that's their proprietary data, right? It's owned by them for their use cases. It's not, it's not open, it's not readily available. One of the distinct advantages of V2X specifically and V2X 
um, kind of paid for investment from departments of transportation, local agencies, cities, et cetera, is that at the end of the day, if, if they're installing the communications infrastructure, um, they should own the data and then they can make it available to the entire kind of constellation ecosystem, if you will, and really realize a lot of these, these collaborative benefits. So that's the real value. Yeah. hundred percent agreed. The listeners listening to the show now, many of them are going, okay, this is the bike lane. We're talking a lot about freeways and um, there aren't a lot of bicycles on freeways. So I, I want to make a point and then ask about how this goes where, and we get asked a lot at home about, how can we make cycling safer? And it's, it's like pulling a thread on a, on a wool sweater. Like, you know, you, you go, Oh, it sounds great. But then, but what about this? What about this with this? And in order, we believe in order for a V to X system to work, there are a lot of things that have to be set up the technology, the use cases, the social adoption, the data privacy, the industry standards, like all these things have to be at a, at a minimum level of performance and acceptance in order for this to go. And one of the nice things, and for many listeners, you may not be realizing this, but I'm trying to connect a few dots is by going on those freeways, you don't have to worry about as many VRUs minus work zone workers and law enforcement and other disabled motorists. But like generally speaking, you're not dealing with a cyclist in the left-hand turn lane turning left and needs a little more time for him or her to get through the intersection. So there's a lot of benefits from work to the cyclist that that you guys have done that are proving out technologies proving out those services that it just it's too much to try to solve every problem at once and bring it to an urban environment but now you guys are going urban so i wanted to kind of like bring that back for some of the listeners is that don't think that because we're talking about freeways and like uh snow plows that that they're like what does that mean for cycles it means a lot because that's the the underlying technology right that's going to be needed to then expand out to a point where you start solving really hard problems which are um, pedestrians crossing at non-signalized intersections or other things that just really make folks like us lean forward and go we want to go solve that problem but we can't do it without the underlying core technology and acceptance of the performance requirements of the tech yeah think of it as we were proving it out again back in 2017 from a highway use case situational awareness perspective but now if i may kind of elaborate on that jake um, our business in particular in the last call it two years has become hyper focused on a completely different user segment and a, a population that we're serving right so what we've done, and you'll forgive the expression, but we've kind of swerved. <laughs> we haven't pivoted, but we've swerved. And now we're very focused on, in particular, applying this technology to the intersection, to our urban cores, to our surface streets. And in particular, when we sat back and we thought about, um, you know, how can we begin to take this technology and with limited investment, begin to deliver actual ROI for the funding agencies that would be adopting and implementing this technology? We landed at a starting point that really includes, let's call it a bucket of five discrete applications. And I'll kind of go through them so that you have some sense and so the listeners have some sense of what we're talking about. We're very interested in emergency vehicle preemption, transit signal priority, freight signal priority, and then um, snowplow preemption as well. And then the fifth bucket, which is um, something that we're, we're actively, uh, I don't know what I can say, um, we're, 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 in the, we're in the phases of developing at this moment is, is this kind of catch-all VRU safety at the intersection. So how do we begin to 
um, interoperate again with other ITS systems, maybe with communication stack that could exist on the on the bike itself or with the pedestrian or within the pedestrian cell phone. There's a lot of different ways to kind of um, slice the pie, but can we begin to account for the, those that are most vulnerable um, users of our intersections and, and of these kind of urban corridors, right? Um, can we account for uh, the cyclist during a preemption event or, um, you know, integrate our technology to um, pedestrian actuated kind of signal beacons, things like that, so that we can communicate in real time to those that are using the intersection from a vehicle perspective to be on alert, to look out for those one road users, and ultimately, can we save lives? Um, so that is, we just kind of skipped, right? We kind of skipped from uh, the 2017 origin story forward to about 2021, 2022. But um, that is really actually the focus of my business within Panasonic. So it dovetails nicely with with your interest and in, in our communal interest in uh, VRU safety. Yeah, we, we got to have those standards. And I've said this many times in the show that I've always explained um, originally, uh, even with the comment earlier about the whether it's a wire and two tin cups, is that our vision was that treating this type of technology like the USB, where like, back in the day with printers, it was like everybody had a different cable for a different printer. And then USB came along and it was better. It was just one cable, but then you had all these different drivers. You had to go to the web web and download and you'd be on dial-up. It would take forever and all that and still would work. <laughs> and now you just plug in and go. And and for um, younger people, that they may not have any idea what I'm talking about right now. It's like, that's a good thing, but it didn't happen without uh, engineering teams and business teams agreeing on pre-competitive standards. These are things that uh, we all can agree to, we all can share and work together on for the sole purpose of reducing cost, increasing quality, making roads safer. Uh, we still have to also agree what our competitive areas are and, and, and mm-hmm. things that we are gonna go fight and be competitive on. But having that that common set of pre-competitive technology and, and having the government with us in the US is just fantastic. And uh, that's I see that trend being accepted now. And I feel like there are very few businesses are still holding out on proprietary solutions. And you, and you talked about the mapping companies and to a large extent, mapping companies are now embracing open source. And at some point in time, this will creep out to uh, to the usage. Uh, I, I can tell you that I'm really excited to, uh, we had Garmin as, as one of our guest bloggers in the bike lane newsletter, and they've been fantastic. Wahoo's been fantastic. I'm still really hoping that that Strava updates their APIs and, and enables. They had Metro for a while, which is a competitive product, but they really look at uh, like they they, talk, they say like democratizing the data for uh, safety purposes. Big word there, but it, it's like those are the sort of things that it's just going to take time and, and some more acceptance. And not every company is going to be first and foremost on this, and especially for companies that are um, like Strava, for example, is that you know still trying to find their way to to a large extent. So. Uh, for the auto companies, they they get it, and they they've been working on pre-competitive safety for 25 years now, what, what, including seatbelts sure. and airbags. And for them, it's it's ingrained as something you have to do. But in the consumer group, it's a little different. So I, I want to ask about like Panasonic as history of the company. I mean, you guys have a massive consumer group, and I I, I got to think that. And in fact, um, one, uh, I'll give a name drop to Michael Steltz, who is or at least certainly was the chairman of the uh, um, SAE committee working on the standard for the basic safety message. And it's like, that's really cool that that Panasonic has that history and that kind of uh, that vibe, you know, that culture around this. And you're just not going to get any sort of business done unless people can agree of competitive versus pre-competitive. Completely agree. And we're seeing this appetite from the consumer tech industry, right? And, and there's a lot of 
really interesting examples of um, now beginning to focus on the utility of uh, a lot of hardware in the field or hardware that we might develop to support kind of the best interests of the end consumer, right? Um, let's talk about Apple and their new iPhone. Right. What was one of the banner things that they're advertising with the iPhone, iPhone 14? I think it was the pro models, right? Going forward. Um, it's this ability to call the SOS function so that if you're in a remote area, of course, you can kind of call for help. But importantly, and I think that they've already been doing this with their Apple watch series as well. They're saying that they're going to use the hardware set to detect a cycling crash, a, a traffic mm -hmm. collision. And if you don't respond to like their SOS alert within five or 10 seconds, they're going to go ahead and call for help on your behalf. And then mm -hmm. we're actually seeing, you know, more directly in our industry, we're seeing consumer companies crop up or investment from some of the OEMs themselves in consumer dedicated technology specific to the VRU segment using V2X. So, mm -hmm. you know, to call out a couple um, that I was personally very impressed with, most recently seeing some demonstrations at, at ITS World Congress, um, specifically to V2X and looking at the LTE and 5G kind of connection with that. There's a company called Spoke Safety, which I'm sure you're familiar with, um, that's focused effectively on delivering that tech stack into the bike by way of the the bicycle OEMs. They're already partnering, I think, with, with Audi um, and putting on demonstrations of this tech in, in real working environment. Um, interestingly, you had mentioned Bluetooth at the outset. Ford um, has a really interesting kind of quote unquote V to X demonstration that they put on that shows scooter safety. I think also um, work zone safety using again, Bluetooth. Um, with the Tome team on that yeah, one. With the Tome team on that one. So um, absolutely, I got to experience that demonstration. It was, it was really interesting. And then we're seeing some of the actual V2X chipset manufacturers um, that are getting into the hardware game and are producing these effectively these light onboard units that could be installed you know, on a bike um, to, so that they become a de facto participant in the, the connected vehicle ecosystem and, and could presumably then also be turned into, um, you know, phones, if you will, or, or used mm -hmm. by the pedestrian segment as well. So it's really interesting to see that, again, a lot of these companies are embracing and investing in kind of this safety as utility um, mindset. And, and they're leveraging things like the V2X data standards and some of these open, as you say, kind of pre-competitive standards to realize those services and applications. Let's stay on the ITS uh, show for a second. So uh, ITS, um, I, I would assume that, I, I don't know if there were like private meetings that happened last year or, or um, like how the show, but I mean, this year felt like this was, I mean, it was back and, you know, and with the infrastructure bill in place. Yeah. What were some of the takeaways that you had, uh, maybe just more from a vibe perspective, but mm -hmm. like what, there there was a buzz, right? And I, I'm curious to get your take on on some of the, general feelings from the show and next steps and specifically about how it can set a timetable or, or expand the audience. I mean, what, what, what were you, what were your thoughts leaving ITS about where you were at? And, you know, you were talking before, like the, the large um, swerve that you guys have done and in, in going into this other area, like, like talk about how ITS has uh, been an accelerator for that. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, there were a couple of key takeaways that I had. Number one, there is, kind of this accelerant that's been poured on uh, the fire for cooperative ITS and for V2X. Um, and we're seeing that right now with the, the notice of funding opportunities being released for grant programs coming out of the IIJA like Attain and SMART and the SS4A, some of these grant programs that are very focused on safety, on underserved um, communities and, and populations, on you know, urban use cases, on things like connected intersections. 
Um, so, so there's investment dollars that are flowing. It seemed to me that again, one of the one of the um, the heartbeats of the ITS show this year was really this this idea of cooperative ITS. How do these different systems that we've kind of thought of as silo investments um, handling a specific or a narrow use case? How do we begin to leverage those investments cross functionally to deliver on? Um, kind of this ecosystem outcome. So I'll provide you like a, a really cool example, just some things that we're tracking on. There are video analytics companies and LIDAR companies that are very interested in taking their kind of sensor data, if you will, and translating that in real time at the edge to V to X and then communicating or realizing services or applications using that V to X protocol. So now you're really talking about cooperation in the ITS stack and layering these investments. And then, you know, the, the last thing that I would mention, which was a, a key takeaway, everyone's interested in communications. I, how many sessions were there, Jake, on uh, 5G, 5G readiness, the implications of 5G? I mean, um, this was, it felt very, from a consumer perspective, it felt very theoretical just two years ago. Then again, like the latest handsets were kind of released. And I think for those of us that live in, in major metros, we've actually seen a lot of our cell service turn over to 5G. So the networks are there, um, but everybody's thinking about, you know, if you're a municipality, uh, how are you leveraging maybe some of your fiber or conduit investment to support mm -hmm. 5G rollout? And in return, what are you getting from, um, uh, you know, leasing or leveraging kind of this quote unquote public right of way, uh, if you want to think about it that way. So those are the, the major themes I saw. I don't know. I'd be curious. Did you have anything else that you picked up on? Well, I think the, the major takeaways from our group out of the show was just uh, we need this yesterday yeah. and a lot of new stakeholders. I want to talk about DOTs, but groups and, and and we'll get to this in a second on DOTs, but a lot of people that were very skeptical and they looked at it like big data, uh, which was talking or like the big IOT uh, from 10 years ago at CES. And sure. um, from an infrastructure standpoint, I feel like the, uh, the technology enablement meant that things that historically would have been too expensive on a bill of materials cost or too expensive on a every traffic, every street light needs a data plan you're paying Verizon or T-Mobile for. Sure. Everyone knew that would not work. I think even T-Mobile and Verizon knew that would not work. So coming up with a 5G strategy that includes the direct point to point called UU connection and other things that, that really enables the technology to be placed on hardware on the city and infrastructure on the city and not necessarily on the cyclist scooter construction zone worker. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that, that they can't offer that um, advanced level of protection or protection might be the wrong word, but advanced level of safety or visibility, uh, wireless visibility, whatever the industry is going to come up with for a term like this. But I, I think that the, to your point about on the edge, like vision on the edge is a good example that we took out of the show, which is you can now work with companies to install this technology to make sure that nobody's left behind. And right. we're talking about specifically low income, specifically uh, people that have disabilities that, that need a little more time to get through the intersection. Uh, people, and we're, a lot of people that they ride a bike to work because that's the only way they can get to work. And, and that's important. And they're, they're on transit and they're, they're out there when the rest of us are, are in our, our nice uh, warm vehicles going around. So sure. like, like for that kind of audience, we got to make sure that the, the technology covers uh, equally across the entire set of residents. And that that's what was, was a big takeaway that now there is solutions there and it's not just a $400 doohickey you're going to throw on a bicycle or something like that. And um, not to say there's anything wrong with that. I mean, with vehicles, you can buy luxury vehicles that have uh, maybe now 11 is more standard, but back when airbags came out, it was like 
advanced safety systems via airbags. And now you have advanced safety systems with lane departure and other things that are on premium. So uh, I feel like having more of that from an infrastructure standpoint, there's a bigger audience going into DOTs. So I do want to kind of segue a little bit on the DOT side of it is, and this is, is uh, very new to us at home and, and, um, from the safety side of this, from, a, a active safety, I think within the automotive community, a lot of folks have relationships with DOTs, but you know, vehicles are manufactured and it's usually by, by country and, and by region, not mm. necessarily managed by state. Uh, I think that as DOTs start rolling out, we're, we're going to be looking for companies like, like yours to really give us the playbook and business of how we engage with these DOTs. And um, I'm curious, I mean, you guys have a lot of DOTs, so I'd love to hear about that and also sure. the education you've done and what you still have to do just to even set the foundation to be able to install these types of pilots like you did with CDOT. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to unpack there. So I'll start, if, if you're okay with it, Jake, um, by going through just a couple of our different DOTs that we're currently contracted with, right? So we're, uh, we've, we've told user or the listeners rather about um, our starting with Colorado. Um, now we're about kind of halfway through a, a large um, uh, contract with Utah's Department of Transportation um, that we've been very, very fortunate to be partnered with Utah. So uh, kind of each 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 year we're, we're rolling out new phase with new scope um, as far as how we're kind of continuing to deploy this technology and specifically what services applications are we are we co-ideating and, and delivering um, on their behalf and, and with them. We're also partnered with Georgia's Department of Transportation and a 501c3. They're a very visionary 501c3 called the Ray, um, which is very focused on um, the application of uh, both like kind of ecological and safety uh, technologies and applications to, to public roadways. And uh, most recently, we've got an announcement with um, Texas Department of Transportation where we're doing a deployment down near um, their their city of Austin. So um, those are really the, the DOTs with whom we're currently partnered. I should mention, I don't think I can be public about uh, the name of the organization, but we we are under contract now with a major, let's say like a major freight and logistics provider, who's also increasingly interested in both the, the safety um, applications that can be realized from this data, and also in, in realizing the benefit or, or testing the benefit of some of the services like, like freight signal priority, right? Which of course has a positive impact, both from an economic development perspective, um, but also in terms of reducing kind of like idling, you know, emissions and things like that in some of these urban cores. So yeah, we're, we're really quite, quite focused there. I want to touch on something else that you were talking about and this, this vision for over what network are you transmitting and the various costs and things like that. You know, again, part of the reason why we've really decided to focus on the intersection is with limited investment, you can roll out and deploy to a fixed number of kind of target intersections and a fixed number of call it like canned, like fleet vehicles, right? fire trucks, transit vehicles, uh, freight vehicles that operate kind of like within that, that particular region. And you can actually begin to deliver like real commercial grade ROI on those infrastructure investments where we're trying to move out of this experimental uh, pilot land because you said something earlier as well, which is we feel like we needed this technology. I can't remember what you said like 10 years ago or whatever. Um, that's true. The fact of the matter is like the standards base is mature, the communication works, it's secure, it's anonymous by design for most applications. Um, we, we've taken care of kind of a lot of those, those pre-competitive hurdles, if you will. It's time to begin delivering solutions. And we believe that by partnering with thought leaders in the space, people that really get it, and by again, delivering and importantly, proving the performance of those systems that we can actually develop and get into the field. That's how you create the sea change moment where all of a sudden um, the industry takes hold. And, and, and then, man, it becomes 
you know, the services, the applications, the use cases, the, the benefit to the general public, to vulnerable road users, to the underserved communities that you were alluding to earlier, it really becomes pretty endless once you actually kind of get the investment ball rolling. Yeah, last question on the topic within DOTs is uh, resident outreach. So uh, you guys went through the wall first. I'm sure you got pretty bloody doing it with uh, <laughs> with your partners. <laughs> um, I, I've been there many times in tech. And that's one of the things I love, by the way, is, is being one of the first ones, if not the first through the wall. Uh, how, how does this change happening? Because in the business community, it's it's a lot faster, even though it can be slow than actually going to residents with, um, these types of solutions. And I'm not just saying like fully autonomous vehicle robo taxis, but sure. just the idea that you've got cameras in the intersection, you've got LIDAR sensors in there, you've got technology that is designed to keep people that are vulnerable, uh, safer, what kind of openness is required and, and how, how have you guys approached and, and kind of maintained a, almost like a, CSR corporate social responsibility level along with your products and services and your, and your DOT partners. Yeah. Just about every program that we're engaged in. Um, one of the principal deliverables that will, will come as part of that technology rollout is going to be these demonstrations of, of real functioning technology in the real world. And we in particular will invest resources in recording, curating, and otherwise kind of marketing that and making that publicly available. So hosting some of those um, demonstrations on, on YouTube um, and our other channels. We, we, my team in particular is now um, really getting interested in thought leadership pieces and blog articles that we can again make publicly available um, to help educate everyone, um, industry insiders and, and even the general public on um, the, the impact of this technology. But then importantly, if we take a step back, I, while I do not in any way, shape, or form want to diminish the importance of public education, because at the end of the day, these systems are designed to serve the riding public. What I care, what I care about most is saving lives, right? If I'm able to issue, if I'm able to deploy a system at an intersection, and I'm able to issue an alert to an emergency vehicle or any other roadway user that saves the life of a pedestrian or a cyclist, best case scenario, that pedestrian or cyclist would go on about their day almost wholly unaware that the system did its job in the background and that they get to get where they're going, get to get back mm -hmm. to their family. Um, that is just as impactful to me. In fact, that's more impactful than simply raising awareness that these systems exist. I, I think at Panasonic, again, we're hyper-focused on the intersection because we're hyper-focused at where can we have an actual real impact? And I can tell yeah. you, you know, every time that we have an all hands meeting, every time that we're coming together for product ideation, those are the questions we're asking ourselves. What technology can we implement and deliver? And how can we pull together the right partners, the right stakeholders, so that again, we all get home safely. So that's, that's the mission. Love it. Thank you. As we're starting to wrap up, and I, I think that the listeners are totally down. You guys are certainly worthy to be in the bike lane with uh, with the other guests we've had on the show. <laughs> I always like to ask our, our listeners, uh, what are your favorite podcasts, shows, blogs, uh, places you go to get your info? And we'll put a link up in the description. So uh, we always like to ask our our folks kind of where you're getting your info and things that you just live and love, whether it be uh, business or, or personal or combo with both. Yeah, totally. So um, from a kind of a business perspective, of course, we're a huge fan of uh, your work, Jake. So I'm really, again, very honored to, to be on this uh, podcast. 
we participate in a number of kind of like industry uh, trade organizations, if you can imagine. So, you know, um, big shout out to ITS America and all of the hard work that they do. Um, that would be a great place to kind of get started and to keep yourself familiar with all of the happenings in all things intelligent transportation system, not just, of course, V2X. On a personal note, I'm a little bit of a health nut. Um, I call it a health nut. My wife calls me a hypochondriac. But um, either way, I'll give a plug for two of kind of my favorite personal podcasts um, that are really kind of more centered on you know, medical interests and human longevity and optimization. That would be um, the Huberman Lab podcast and um, The Drive by Dr. Peter Atia. Those are, those are the only two podcasts um, outside of your own that I, I would subscribe to and, and listen to religiously. So, and then as far as um, thought leadership for anybody that's just interested, as I mentioned, my group is very interested in um, creating and generating, you know, useful public engagement blog content. So we've begun a series of those blogs. I'll be happy, Jake, to provide you with links to that so that you can include it in, in show notes or, or newsletter. Um, and this would kind of be an open call. We're interested in collaboration. That's, that's a thing that's kind of core to our ethos at Panasonic is this, this um, cooperative mentality. We're always interested. We'd be interested in thought leadership pieces and in co-sponsoring or um, helping to, to write and generate that content. So yeah, kind of an open call to get in contact. Excellent. And for listeners looking to get a hold of you or uh, folks at Cirrus, what's the best place to uh, point them to? Yeah. So of course we, as you can imagine, have a, a website. If you, uh, I can provide again, a, a link um, to our URL in the show notes. And then um, the best way to get in contact with me actually uh, for as, as pedestrian as this may be, would be to go straight to my email. So um, it's my first name dot last name, kellen.pooker at us.panasonic.com. Um, and again, I'm happy to have you host that so that anybody can get in contact. Thanks again, Kellen. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. Thanks again for listening and see you next time in the bike lane.